Hello everyone and welcome to the November SASMA podcast. For those of you who did not listen to my podcast in June, my name is Dr. Kerry Ann Walton, avid sport enthusiast, both personally and academically, based in Peter Maritzburg in KwaZulu-Natal. Today we have a very special podcast planned for you. It will be based around paddling. Our guests are Andy Burkett and Garth Oliver. I'll introduce and talk to Andy first, then continue with Garth. Before we start, I thought I would give you a little information about paddling. For those of you who don't know, Paddling refers to the group of water sports that require a paddle to propel and steer a vessel through the water. Traditionally, this has included two sports, namely canoeing and kayaking. The main differences between canoeing and kayaking are that canoeing normally involves an open-top vessel that one sits or kneels in and uses a paddle with only one blade that you switch from side to side to steer. Kayaking, on the other hand, usually involves an enclosed vessel with a hole in the middle that one sits in and stretches their legs out in front. The paddle has two blades on either end, so both sides of the paddle are used. The Doozy Canoe Marathon is actually a form of kayaking. The race is held over three days and covers 120 kilometers between Pietermaritzburg and Durban. It attracts between 1,600 to 2,000 paddlers each year, making it the biggest paddling race on the African continent. Andy Burkett has won the Doozy Canoe Marathon 13 times but this is only one of his many accomplishments. This year, he was one of three nominees for the South African Sportsman of the Year Award, alongside track athlete Akani Simbine and swimmer Peter Kutzer, who received the award. This followed a phenomenal season where he excelled in flatwater marathons as well as river and surf ski races, both locally and internationally. Andy lives in East London. He is a world champion paddler. Andy won the senior men's K1 marathon title at the World Games in the US city of Birmingham last year. This followed multiple victories throughout the KwaZulu-Natal river races. Surf ski wise, he won the national double surf ski title with his partner Nikki Notton at the Prussian Freedom Paddle held in Cape Town. This is a 27 kilometer race from the VNA waterfront around Robben Island and back. Amidst this, he is also the husband to his beautiful wife, Nikki, and father to their two sons, Dave and Daniel. Andy, we welcome and thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on this, on this podcast. To start, could you perhaps please take us right back and tell us how you first got into paddling? Yeah, so when, um, when I was at school in Peter Marisburg, I was at uh, Merkiston, um, and because of my lack of war skills, I was really not enjoying cricket that much and I think my folks could see that I was always the last batsman and I was just sitting out there all day as, as a young schoolboy just uh, loathing the idea of playing cricket again on the weekend and fortunately Mokerson offered canoeing um, with the doozy um, river being right there and they had a, a bus that would shuttle um, some of the boys interested in paddling to Camp Strift and uh, Solly Peckett um, was the, the coach when I was younger. We used to initially throw our paddles and paddle with our hands to get our balance and, and learn how to get into it. Um, and there was just a really nice, fun environment for us to, to get involved in paddling in, in a nice group um, of youngsters and, and started there as, as just a summer sport. Then again, in, in high school, I went to Marisburg College and they also offered it as a, as a summer sport. And um, and I was always competitive within within myself, but um, didn't excel because I was one of the young, um, smallest boys um, for for my age. So I think I struggled a bit, but that's maybe a good thing sometimes because it forces you to try and uh, and push against uh, against against the odds. 
obviously growing up in Pietermaritzburg, you have to have to take part in the doozy. It's it's one of those things that's sort of um, compulsory if you have any interest in paddling. I mean, I think the the Comrades Marathon is also a must do for any any person that grows up in Marisburg or, or Natal. So something I still have to do. Um, but took part in the doozy when I was, um, I think, 13 or 14. We probably shouldn't have taken part, my brother and I, when we were so young because um, our folks had no idea what the doozy action entailed and what rapids you were going down. So they just uh, said, oh, if you want to take part in the doozy, then then why not? It, it can't be can't be that dangerous. But um, I think for 13-year-olds, we were, we were fine, but uh, things can go wrong. And there's an age restriction now of 15, which I think is, is a good thing. And then yeah, got got into to doing doozy um, when I was at high school, and then I was still doing a few other sports, um, rugby um, when I was at Marisburg College. But again, I was hopeless at that. I was a reserve for the fourteenth team at Marisburg College. Um, so so uh, I think the ninth team had games against other schools, but there's not many other schools that got fourteen teams. So so again. Um, there wasn't that much much interest of after you saw we were just having practice and, and not really going anywhere. So I got uh, quite involved in multi-sport races, off-road triathlons. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I think it was almost similar to Doozy for me because of that running and paddling combination. And you could you could do a different um, activity uh, to train for almost every day. Um, so I was very diverse and, and I really enjoyed that. And that took up most of my winters and I wouldn't paddle for a few months and then get back into paddling for, for doozy and for the, the river season in South Africa, um, late, late winter. And then I think I looked for, for a new challenge and, um, and then I decided to try flatwater marathons, um, which is a two hour race, eight, eight laps of three kilometers. My first time competing was when I was 22. That's the last last year of your under 23 age group and and one um, under 23 worlds in Denmark that year and then the bug bit it was a new a new challenge and that sort of complemented my doozy paddling quite nicely because would fill my winter up training for that and then the summer the river season and, and doozy and and I've really really enjoyed the journey and still love my paddling to to this day okay so I'm a very novice paddler with the aspirations to do a doozy in the years to come, as one has to do when they're in Maritzburg. Do you have any advice for other aspiring paddlers when it comes to training and preparation? We're very fortunate in the sport of paddling and that the communities are really helpful. When I live in East London now, um, I grew up in, in, uh, in Maritzburg, but I've I've uh, been exposed to all the clubs around around in our country and I've seen that they are so supportive for anyone who wants to get into the sport or to learn a bit more. There's a lot of people in the club that are, that offer guidance and, and, and advice. So I would say for, for anyone, just reach out to your club, get involved in, in your club. And there's a lot of people that, that we can learn from and have a lot of knowledge to pass down and, and they're willing to, to put back into the sport. And I know our little club here in East London, it's one of the smallest in the country, very active. And they organize river trips for, for novices to go and practice on the fish of a marathon before the race and help everyone out. And I think that that certainly makes it a lot easier to become more proficient um, to, to go down the river. But for, for someone to, to do Doozy specifically, I think there's, there's so many nice races leading up to Doozy. If I could have gone back to my first Doozy, um, it would be do more of those races to learn the river and then it's, you tackle them at bite-sized chunks and not just 
the full-on doozy, which is 40 kilometers each day, would have really enjoyed the, the race, I think, a lot more if we knew where we were going. So we had no idea where we were going. And even just doing, call them trips, where you just go um, into the doozy valley and, and practice a section, um, even if you just do it slowly and, and try and reach out to someone in the club that, that knows those sections well. Because knowing where you're going can uh, can really make a big difference. In the Doozy um, River, you can also avoid a lot of the big rapids by just knowing where to go. This day, I also battle a bit with um, with dead leg in my boat, and that's something that I think if you if you're going to do the Doozy or any other race, get used to what you're going to race in your life jacket, your splash cover, your seating in your boat, and there's lots of different things you can try to make it comfortable. I think we 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 don't need to just accept. The, the the boat we get from the manufacturer. There's a lot of small things you can do to actually make it a lot more comfortable. But again, reach out to someone in your club and they can help you with that because I felt it can be debilitating. If you're busy paddling for a few hours and you get out your boat and your legs are asleep, you can't even even run. Uh, it feels it feels terrible. So there's small little lessons that that one learns as you as you get into the sport and you find yourself in the Doozy Valley uh, an hour away from the nearest road, thinking, I wish I just checked my cable connectors before we had started the, the, the trip or the race, because now you have to walk an hour with your boat to get back to the car. Or if your rudder is a little bit bent, um, replace your rudder. Don't try and straighten your rudder after the day. Get a new rudder for, for each day of the doozy, because your rudder bends once, and it's it's now a weak, a weak rudder. So that's also something I... As if I was competitive or not, I wouldn't race with a bend rudder because it's just going to mean you can't steer down the river. Yeah, little things. But I think, yeah, we're lucky. That we've got great um, paddling clubs and, and, and a nice paddling community. Thanks, Andy. And for those who are a bit more experienced in the field, are there any key factors which you think have made a remarkable difference to your performance? I've sort of changed what I've done for Doozy every single, every single year. Andrew Boynes, who's a, a running coach primarily, He's helped me for probably the last 10 years while I've been racing doozy and marathons. And he's been very insightful and, and useful to try and help with my build-up to doozy. And I think if I, if I could probably say anything that, that I've learned from him, and that is it's crucial to do race simulations because we always used to get, to get to the doozy. And the first time you've actually raced three days in a row is, is on the race. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the top paddlers do it now about two or three weeks out from Doozy, they simulate Doozy, whether it's on the river or on another river, or they try and use another race to do a hard session the day before and then do two days of racing. So you simulate those three days. Because I've always felt the difficult thing about Doozy in any stage race is trying to maintain your, your effort for all three days and not just have one good day and then and then uh, you're tired for the second or third day. So I think it's having that race simulation and, and practice for the race. And that's an opportunity also to, to try out your equipment, your, your, your boat, your paddles, your um, life jacket and splash cover, and just really get used to everything to try and um, eliminate mistakes because I think it's too easy to try a new paddle the day of the race and then you get blisters on your hand. Or your life jacket chafes on your shoulder or to, to work all of those things out and it's, it's unpleasant to have to have something like that and a cut that you could have actually avoided or chafe just by just by practicing all of that uh, along the way. 
And I think also river river paddling. Um, I think it's 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 easy to go and paddle um, around on flat water, but spending time on a river is is crucial. Um, and it's and it just gives you a nice feel of of the river. And and it's it's uh, it eliminates a lot of a lot of mistakes as well. Just spending spending time on flowing water. We go up to Underberg more recently for for two weeks or so over Christmas and New Year. And you don't actually feel like you you're training. You're just busy paddling on the river there in the morning for an hour or so. And and it's hard paddling because it's flowing water. But you're actually learning a lot. I think when you're busy paddling on flowing water, and, and you learn a lot more about how to read the river as opposed to just paddling around on flat water. Which, which I think I used to do a lot more of in the past to train for the doozy. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely one of the, the best things one can do. I know the doozy unfortunately frightens a lot of people off because of its water quality and fear of getting gastroenteritis, also known as doozy guts, by the paddlers. Do you have any advice for the paddlers to try and avoid this? Yeah, I've, I've really battled with, uh, with that since I've moved to East London. Um, well, I think only the... The first year after I went back, because I wasn't spending as much time paddling in the Doozy River itself. If I was paddling in the river, it was up in Underberg, or I'd go up and do a few pre-races on the Doozy. But I don't think I was, I've been like a traditional case of in Paddler, where every weekend they're paddling down the river and they build up those antibodies. So my, my, after my first year of moving back to East London, I did the Doozy, and, and I, I really battled with, with my stomach on the last day. And a doctor here in East London suggested to me that, that I've taken antibiotic for the race. Um, and I think it was called Zithromax. Um, he advised he had been using it for a lot of hikes he did um, all around the world. He would just take Zithromax with him in his, in his bag and then he could mix it and, and use it if, if he needed. So I don't know if it's the right thing, but that's what I do now before the, the start of the race. I take it the day before. And, and I haven't got sick for the last three or four years um, of, of doozy um, because it can be debilitating. But I think there's also probably other factors as well that, that go into that, um, like finishing each stage of the doozy and, and having some soap, water, shower, clean yourself before you drive home for, for two hours. Because um, I think a lot of us just finish the race, towel ourselves off and then get in a car. But you're still sitting there with dirty water on you. So I always try and do that straight after finishing the race. And and also we we blame the, the river water and it, it is dirty, but I'm sure if you look at other stage races, it's probably not uncommon for people to have a bad stomach because the stomach is overloaded with having so much energy drinks throughout the race. And then people also try new things all the time. They they want to just try what their mate has got for the race, after the race, in the evenings. So, so I would also say just, just whatever you're putting into your body, just, uh, just bear in mind that your stomach's under a lot of strain already because you're consuming so many energy drinks. Don't go and overdo the dairy as soon as you finish the race. That's not going to help your stomach or um, eat weird and funny things every single day. Um, I feel like after three days of racing, I almost lose my appetite because you're trying to just consume so much. But I just try and keep it super simple what you what you are consuming and make it uh, easier for your stomach. Great. While preparing for this podcast, I thought it might be interesting to test a sample of the water from the start of the doozy at Camp Striff. I hopped into my canoe and paddled out into the middle and collected a specimen which I then submitted to the lab for culture. The result cultured two organisms. 
The first was Eremonis salmanicida. This was not an organism I am familiar with, so I did a bit of reading about it. It appears to be a gram-negative bacillus that commonly causes septicemia in fish. It was previously thought not to be a risk to humans, but in recent years has been cultured in blood cultures of individuals most commonly presenting with gastroenteritis, bacteremia, or soft tissue infections. Although it has shown some resistance to tetracyclines and quinolones, it seems to respond well to broad-spectrum cephalosporins. The second was a parasite called Chylomastix mesnili. This parasite is considered non-pathogenic as it is often described as a commensal organism in the human gastrointestinal tract, but does unfortunately indicate fecal contamination of the water and thus does not rule out other parasitic infections. I hope this information will be useful for doctors who see paddlers after paddling the doozy with gastroenteritis and get them to encourage their paddlers to also get vaccinated against hepatitis A. Are there any other illnesses or injuries you have incurred through your career or think you are more prone to as a result of paddling? I think I've been I've been quite lucky. If I have had an illness, it's it's been a stomach bug because of paddling in uh, in, in the river. Even this year on the doozy, I'm just thinking back, I twisted my ankle on the first day. And I have done that a few times in the lead up to doozy because I didn't do much running in winter. So I try and um, I try and just overload my running and, and my um, ankles are not that strong yet for, for the trail running we do. And then I think in in a, in a boat, we all battle um, with back pain if we overdo it a bit as well, because that sitting position just shortens our hamstrings. So I, I, I do on a constant basis battle with back pain, but I know that's probably posture related from sitting hunched over in a boat and, and shortening my hamstrings. So I, I try and um, and stretch my hamstrings as much as I can. And I know one of our, our club members here in East London um, got hepatitis A um, a while ago. So we actually rushed off and, and got our vaccines up to date because I just saw how scary it was for him and how long he was off for that. And, and that was down here in East London. Which, which was pretty pretty scary for someone paddling in a, another water body. We think it's just the doozy that is possibly dirty, but it it is it is anyway. But I think I think I've been I've been lucky on the whole with with injuries that um, it's been small things like a bit of tendonitis um, from maybe actually most of those are from throwing our kids around and picking them up um, in in the waves. I've got tendonitis this year, and I think I've had that a few times. But that's that's mostly due to the kids, not not the paddling, and then the paddling suffers. But I've been lucky on the whole with uh, without many many serious injuries. Though. Anything else you would like to add, or think might be beneficial for the paddlers out there, or physicians treating paddlers to know? Just urge those those paddlers that you are treating, you do know to go and have the hepatitis vaccines because. I saw a friend of ours get so sick when he when he did get hepatitis, and it was tough to see how long it took him as well to 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 recover and get back into to sport. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's probably the little little bit of uh, advice I would I would give with my limited knowledge. Thank you, Andy. We really appreciate all your input. To close, would you like to share with us what the upcoming season has in store for you, so the listeners can follow and support you? Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm. Uh, Participating in the Fish River Marathon in Craddock, which takes place um, early October. And I'm going to be racing with Greg Lowe. We haven't raced together for six years now. So it's uh, pretty special for us to jump back in a boat together. We're good mates and, and I'm looking forward to that. He's, I think he's been uh, been sick for a few years and then he, he focused more on work. So it's nice to get back in boat together. And then 
I actually am keen to take a bit of time off because it's it's been quite a busy two years where I probably hadn't haven't had more than five days off. So I'm looking forward to having a bit of time off after that before getting ready for Doozy and the DRAC um, next year. Well, we really do wish you the very best and we'll definitely keep an eye out for those races. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Now to introduce my second guest, Garth Oliver. Garth Oliver lives in Hilton in KwaZulu-Natal. He has been a qualified physiotherapist since 2003. He too has a strong passion for sport, both personally and professionally. He has accompanied an array of South African and provincial teams and athletes on local and international tours, including South African indoor and outdoor hockey, the Sharks rugby team, South African tennis player Chanel Skierpers at the 2014 French Open, and the Maritzburg United soccer team. Garth owns and runs his own multidisciplinary practice called Movol in Hilton. The practice includes physiotherapists and biokineticists. They see and treat athletes from a variety of sports and really do take a holistic approach in treating and returning them to play injury-free. He, in fact, was Andy's physiotherapist when Andy still lived in Peter Maritzburg. Welcome, Garth. Oh, thanks for having me. To start, would you like to share with us what it was like being Andy's physiotherapist? Yeah, I remember Andy as a 16, 17-year-old, still at Marisburg College, big into his paddling then. And even at that age, he was, he was quite meticulous in his planning. I mean, he would uh, book in after day one, day two doozy for his uh, recovery rubs. Back then, he was quite a skinny, skinny 17-year-old, and I kept joking with him, you know, when I was massaging him, how not really feel like I'm doing anything. feels like I'm just rubbing bone. We, we laugh at it. Uh, today like how he's just filled out into this into this athlete that he is and he's like luckily put on a little bit more weight but i think what strikes me with andy is just his his discipline his 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 preparation how he he's just so meticulous in in, in everything that he does in in a lead up to any of his races and i've been i've been lucky enough to have worked with a lot of elite athletes across all disciplines and yeah i can safely say andy's probably been one of the most professional athletes that uh, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to have worked with, um, just, just in his preparation and his, and his dedication and his discipline to, to the sport. Yeah. So that sticks out um, yeah, quite a lot. Well, it certainly paid off for him. So Peter Maritzburg is quite a paddling hub. I'm sure you must see a lot of amateur and elite paddlers. What injuries do you, you find that they'll generally present with? So if you look at Doozy Canoe Marathon specifically, it's a combination of paddling, portaging, running with the boat. So I, I kind of liken it to a duathlon and, and CrossFit because of the movement. You know, you're running on uneven terrain with a boat on your shoulder. Uh, you're paddling in rapids to try and avoid falling out. You know, you're pouring water out of a boat. You're lifting, you, you're twisting. So the, the injury profile is quite broad, but mainly we see, you know, in terms of the running specific, uh, injuries. We see a lot of ankle sprains, shin splints, your, your stress fractures, the dreaded numb bum, quite a lot of uh, tendinopathies, uh, whereas it be it shoulder, elbow or, or patella uh, tendinopathies. So those are the most common uh, that we see in our clinic. Yeah. And can you tell us how you'd go about treating some of these? So if you look at your ankle sprains, how we manage it with at, at Muval is depending on the severity. If there's lots of swelling, lots of bruising, we try and minimize that swelling quite quickly. So we do a very specific high density foam strapping to, to try and really push that swelling out as, as quickly as possible. But I think really important for us is the early loading. So we like to load early. We find that early loading, you want to start creating these physiological processes to create that adaptation um, to get them back a little bit sooner rather than later. 
So that's, that's really, really key as we, we continue with our normal physiotherapy modalities, but, but early loading, you know, we can load quite safely. And obviously we adhere to certain factors that, that the patient would complain of. So we don't go into more than five out of 10 pain. We don't, we don't do anything that's gonna create sharp stabbing pain. And so it does shift away from our normal conventional way of treating where we rest it, we price it, we you know, compress it. Um, we're finding we're getting really good results by loading early, but, but in a structured and, and a very yeah, safe way, if you put it that way. Numbum, we see a lot of that. And essentially what numbum is, is when you are sitting, your, your pelvis has what we call the ischial tuberosity. We call those a sitting bone. So when you sit, essentially you need to be sitting on, on those bones. But we find with the numbum is, and we see this more in men than, than women because their flexibility and mobility, generally speaking, is a lot worse is they don't have the mobility in their hips and the flexibility in their hamstrings to be able to sit on that, onto that ischial tuberosity to maintain that neutral spine. And so they tend to shift into that posterior pelvic tilt. And so instead of sitting on the ischial tuberosities, they, start, they sit on that big nerve called the sciatic nerve, on that piriformis and that gemelli muscle. And that essentially blocks the feeling all, all the way down, down the leg. So to manage that, it's a lot of hip mobility and, and hamstring flex, flexibility that, that we try and instill into their, into their training program. Yeah. And then when we look at our tendinopathies, uh, especially your tennis elbows, we see a lot of that. So it's, it's like a two-pronged approach. Essentially what we're trying to do is, what causes the tendinopathy is, is an overuse injury. It's considered an overuse injury. The conventional way of treating it would be to rest it and tape it and offload it. And, and we're seeing really good results by actually increasing that tendon capacity. And the only way we can do that is what we call, we put them on a heavy slow resistance training program. So we, we load that tendon quite heavy and it needs to be 70% of your one rep max. And we do lots of repetitions, lots of time under tension and lots of sets. And that we see works really well because that's how we increase tendon capacity. Because injury per definition is when the load you're applying to tissue, whether it's bone, ligaments, or tendon, is more than what that bone, tendon, ligament can handle. And so for us to lower that risk of injury, we need to increase tendon capacity, but at the same time, try and lower the load that you're applying to it. And that's where we look at equipment paddling technique. We know through the literature that tendon takes 36 hours to adapt to load. So our management is very specific. We load, we rest, we recover, tendon can adapt, we load again. The load management becomes very key. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very dynamic relationship you have to have with your client, you know, in educating them in terms of you can paddle, but while we're loading, we might need to just kind of deload you from the paddling side while we're loading you um, on, the, on, the, on the rehab side. That's the one, one approach that we use. So looking at really increasing tendon capacity. And then we start looking at equipment is it a paddling technique style? Are you gripping the paddle too hard on your push stroke? Um, is the blade too big for what you can handle? Those are factors that we need to consider on the paddling and the, and the equipment and the technique side of things. It's a two-pronged approach to handling our tendinopathy specifically. So identifying driver, yes, uh, whether it's a systemic issue or a paddling specific issue, but at the same time, biomechanically, we've got to increase that, that, that tendon loading capacity.
If they're not meeting this optimal load, what do you find? If you're not loading it heavy enough, what tends to happen is the tendon doesn't, doesn't register the load and all you end up doing is irritating it. And so then they, 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 their provocation remains a seven or even gets worse, like an eight out of 10 pain. So very important when we're educating and, and, and managing these tendinopathies is educating the client and saying, you really got to load it heavy. And so that first couple of sessions, it's about getting their 70% of their one rep max and it's different to everybody. What we also stress, especially with, with tendinopathies, is we don't stretch a tendon. Tendons do not like to be stretched. They, they, they compress when you stretch them, and when in that compression, we find that it actually irritates it. So we take them off a proper, off any stretching of the tendon in that first two phases, three phases of, of building that tendon capacity. So we don't stretch a tendon. So Achilles tendon, we don't stretch it. We don't go below neutral. We don't want them going into that dorsiflexion because that can compress the tendon. And it's the same with our, with our old tennis elbow as well. We don't stretch it, we load it, and we load it heavy. So that's really, really important, yeah. So I know you've touched on a bit here, but is there anything else new paddlers could do to try and prevent getting some of these injuries? Our philosophy has always been, you know, low to the demand. So whatever sport you are doing, make sure that your body is strong enough, supple enough, mobile enough to be able to handle that load. So whether it's doing doozy canoe or running comrades, make sure that you are strong enough to handle that load. And so that's the importance of a structured rehab program to create that re resilience to, to be able to handle the load of whatever you want to do because essentially that's what we want to do we want to really get you strong and and your loading capacity high enough to be able to handle whatever whatever load that you that you're applying to it and when we look at a gym program there's it's not just strength so we generally speaking we we find people will do a lot of strength work but not enough mobility work and or they'll do a lot of flexibility work but not enough neuromuscular control so for us a structured scientific program needs to encompass all four of those those elements so there needs to be strength there needs to be flexibility there needs to be mobility and there needs to be neuromuscular control and then out of all those four elements there's another whole bunch of other elements that you need to consider so when you look at strength training it's strength endurance it's hypertrophic training so getting bigger muscles it's absolute strength and then there's power and then there's plyometrics. You need somebody who understands those elements and how to encompass that into, into your training program. And I think that's kind of where we kind of fit in with our biokineticists to really follow that, that model that's very specific and, and very structured. Thank you, Garth. This has been very informative and useful. I'll be sure to remember this when I next get into my canoe. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close off? If we take a page out of Andy's book and his journey, I think preparation is key. So, I mean, he's been so meticulous, you know, in, in preparing for all of his races. And I think if you want to do a doozy canoe marathon, just make sure you are well prepared. You know, you, you're in the right boat, you've got the right equipment, your technique is solid enough not to increase any risk of injuries, and that you're strong enough and mobile enough and flexible enough to handle the trip from Marisburg to Durban and maybe your constitution is strong enough to handle the water quality as well <laughs> but yeah preparedness is yeah just be prepared just be prepared thank you well that brings us to the end of another informative podcast I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have to our two guests Andy and Garth I would like to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us 
I so appreciate it and really do wish you only success with your upcoming endeavors. Thanks for having me. Thank you.